now take you into a service already in progress where Pastor Ashish exhorts the congregation and leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. For the last several Sundays we've been talking about our um, identity in Christ. And uh, this will be the uh, third and last message in this series which is just an overview, uh, kind of refreshing our understanding of who we are in Christ. Now, just to quickly recap, we said that all of us are searching for an identity. Who am I? You know, who am I in life? What is my identity in life? And uh, we said that, uh, you know, we tend, our behavior tends to flow of what we think about ourselves. If we perceive ourselves to be certain, certain kind of thing, we tend to behave like that. Uh, we also said that, you know, many times we, uh, we tend to think of ourselves the way we think somebody else thinks about us. Now we think somebody else thinks about us like this and therefore we tend to think about ourselves the same way. And uh, we either live from an identity or we live for an identity that we hope to achieve in the future. But the underlying and the key truth that we are emphasizing in this series, just uh, uh, refreshing our understanding in the series, is that who we are in Christ is who we really are. That our true identity is who we are in Jesus. And that identity never changes. It's not something you're trying to reach for. It's something that you already are because you are in Christ. And the challenge for us believers is to live out of that identity. We are not striving for it. Our call is to live out of that. Amen? And one of the very basic scriptures, 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Bible says, If any person is in Christ... He is a new creation. You are a new creation because you're in Christ. Inside your identity has been changed. You are a new man. And we have to live out of that new creation identity. Uh, and and uh, who we are before God, who we are in the world, and who we are before demonic forces has all been changed from the time we came to be in Christ. And our challenge is to understand that and to live out of that. In the very first part of this message, we talked about our identity before God. You know, how God perceives us, how God sees us, who we are before God. And we must learn to relate to God based on that identity. The fact that God sees you as righteous in Christ. That God sees you as somebody who's been washed, sanctified, and justified. That there is no condemnation against you when you go into the presence of God. And that's why the Bible tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace. The Bible says that we have access with confidence before God. And so we must learn to relate with, to God with that. The Bible says we have been justified. We have been qualified to partake of the inheritance that, are, that belong to the saints. So you're not trying to get qualified and earn a blessing. You've already been qualified because you're in Christ. Amen? And so therefore, now our challenge is to possess what God has given to us. Last Sunday we talked about our identity in the world, how we relate to the world, that we are overcomers, that we are sanctified in Christ, um, that we don't have to um, fall into the sin of this world. Uh, we talked about, our, about the fact that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We're able to meet uh, with all kinds of people, speak to people, uh, not necessarily of, our, of what we have in the natural, but of who we are in Christ. We learn to relate to the world out of our position in Christ. This morning in our last message in the series, I want to talk to us about our identity when we face demons, demonic powers. 
You know, sometimes you can live like, you know, the devil doesn't exist. But just because you think the devil doesn't exist doesn't make him go away. Amen? Pretending the devil is not there doesn't make the devil disappear. He still comes. He still contends. He still, you know, troubles uh, and comes against believers. And it's so important that as a believer, you understand what your position is before Satan and demonic forces. Amen? That God has brought you to a place of authority. And in Christ, you have a certain level of, uh, of you have authority over Satan and all of his demons. So let's talk about that this morning and, uh, and see what the Lord um, uh, would, would want us to do. Our position as believers. Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, the Bible says, that Thanks be to God who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, who has delivered us from the powers of darkness. God has delivered us from the powers of darkness. That means Satan has no authority over you. He has no access to you. He has no right over you. God has delivered you from the power or the dominion of darkness. And He has translated you into the kingdom of His own dear Son. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption through His blood. So as a believer, you need to know that God has delivered you from the powers of darkness. Satan has no authority over my life, over your life. Amen. First John chapter 5. Or let's go to 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20, it says, you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You have been bought with a price. Meaning you are now God's property. Amen. You are God's property. Spirit, soul, and body. You belong to God. So if Satan is doing anything against your body, your mind, you know what? He is actually violating God's property. Amen. So you have every right to say, No devil, you cannot touch my body, you cannot touch my mind, and you have no access to my spirit, because I am God's property. Amen. He has no authority over you, no access to you. God has purchased you with a great, 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 great price. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which belong to God. Every part of you belongs to God. You are God's property. First John chapter 5, verses 18 and 19 again is a very interesting verse. It says, uh, we know this, that whoever is born of God does not sin. Interesting. Whoever is born of God does not sin. You know that you, you don't need to sin, like we said last Sunday. Whoever is born of God does not sin. Why? Because it continues. Whoever is born of God keeps himself, guards himself. So that's what God wants you and me to do. It says, guard yourself. Keep yourself. And then it continues. And that wicked one does not touch him. Now, so many of us are afraid. You know, devil's going to touch me. See, the Bible says, the wicked one cannot touch you. Are you convinced? Yes or no? That wicked one cannot touch you. Now, we had all kinds of questions in the past. You know, one person asked me, you know, like, my roommate, 
Uh, I live in a house, my roommate, uh, she worships all these kinds of things. Will it affect me? Answer is very simple. God yourself and that wicked one cannot touch you. Oh, I've been invited to a house and they have all kinds of, you know, uh, idols and all kinds of things. I'm a, should I go and should I not? Don't be afraid. That wicked one cannot touch you. Amen? If you're afraid, don't go. Because fear opens the door. Job said, the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me. Fear is like faith. It just attracts the wrong thing. But if you're convinced about the word of God which says that whoever is born of God keeps himself and that wicked one does not touch him, you can walk into any circumstance, any situation, any place and know the devil cannot touch even a single strand of hair on your head. Because that's the word of God. Amen? And then we have this big question. You know, somebody brought these bananas and you know how what I think about this, but let me repeat it. Somebody brought these bananas. You know, they, the bananas went around the temple seven times. And they've given it to me to eat. Should I eat it or should I not eat it? My answer is, are you hungry? If you're hungry, you want to eat a banana, eat a banana. Because for a believer, a banana is a banana is a banana. You say, but can a banana not be demon possessed? I don't believe in demon possessed bananas. If you believe in demon possessed bananas, and the Bible says, for everything is cleansed by word of God and prayer with thanksgiving. Including demon possessed bananas. So if somebody brings it to you, it's your choice. You want to eat? Cleanse, it's cleansed with the word of God through prayer with thanksgiving. You pray and say, God, thank you for this banana. If there be any demons in it, let them depart into the ham. In Jesus' name. <laughs> okay, you didn't understand that joke. It's okay. <laughs> you know, some jokes just go over people's head. You know? <laughs> okay. you know that Jesus drove out devils into the pigs? What do you call pigs? So you have deviled ham. Okay, coming back to our subject. Right. So you don't have to be afraid of these things, you know. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the cross of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. I mean, sometimes believers are so afraid of all kinds of things. But you say, doesn't the Bible say not to eat things offered to idols? Yes, but understand the intent. The intent. If you look at Acts 15, uh, Romans 13, 1 Corinthians 10, and 1 Timothy 4, you look at, put, the, put them all together. The intent is this. Don't eat it as an act of worship or don't eat it if somebody else thinks you're worshipping that idol. That's the main point. Don't cause somebody else to think that you are worshipping the idol by eating it. That's causing them to stumble. They think you're worshipping Jesus and the idol. But other than that, the banana is a banana is a banana. Don't be afraid. You know, every time you go to Shanti Sagar, you know what happens early morning. The manager of the hotel comes and he does all the puja and all this stuff, and then you're going to eat the masal dosa. I mean, what, what are we saying, you know? So, don't be afraid about the devil touching you. Understand our position as believers. Understand that we are here to enforce Christ's victory. You know, what Jesus did on the cross, he did, the work Jesus did was, was, was a great work. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15 tells us this, that on the cross, having removed the handwriting of requirements that was against us, literally saying, He has removed the certificate of debts. Our long list of debts that we had, Jesus removed it, having removed the certificate of debts that was against us, which we could not meet, and having abolished them, taken them out of the way, on the cross, verse 15, 
he disarmed principalities and powers. And he made a public spectacle of them. And he triumphed over them on the cross. So what did Jesus do on the cross? He cancelled your debt. This whole long list of debt that was against you and me. He cancelled it. He said, that's paid. Then I'll go on for one more thing. He said, I am disarming every demon in hell. Disarm principalities and powers. And the, Bible, and the Bible says he made a public spectacle of them. The Greek carries the picture of a triumphant emperor or a triumphant military leader leading this entire defeated army in procession and making a pub of them on the cross. Now, did Jesus need to do that for himself? No. Because he was Lord of Lords and King of Kings before the cross and he will be forever after the cross. So what he did on the cross, he didn't need to do it for himself. He did it for you and me. He came as one of us. He was, he was made like unto his brethren. As one of us, he went to the cross. He represented each one of you and me on the cross so that his victory becomes our victory. His triumph becomes our triumph. So when the devil sees you, he sees you on the winning side. He sees you as part of Jesus Christ. As somebody who has crushed the head of the serpent. That's the devil's perception of you. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 tells us this, that through his death, Jesus defeated him who had the power of death. Through his death, Jesus defeated the one who had the power of death. And so that he may set free, liberate those who through all, who their entire lifetime were in bondage of the fear of death. See, none of us need to have any fear of death. Even that was dealt with on the cross. He defeated Satan. So what kind of authority does a believer have? Luke 10.19 captures that so beautifully. Jesus said in Luke 10.19, Behold, I give you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any means hurt you. Amen? That's what Jesus has given for the believer. He says, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions, meaning literally crush them under your feet. And over all the power, anything the devil can do, I am giving you authority over. And he said, nothing will by any means hurt you. Every believer has given this kind of authority. Are you a believer? Don't sound convinced. Let's get an altar call. <laughs> Are you a believer? Then Jesus says that you, as a believer, have authority over all the power of the enemy. So when you see something that's demonic, you see a person who's oppressed, who's bound in addictions, or oppressed, all kinds of things. You know, you don't need to pick up the phone and say, let me call pastor. You need to understand that you, as a believer, you are as much in Christ as the pastor or anybody else. And you, as a believer, have been given authority over all the power of the enemy. So you stand right there as a believer in Jesus and say, you know, I have authority over what the devil's doing to this person or in this person's life. I have the authority to dismantle it. Amen. Every believer has been given that authority. In Mark 16, 17, Jesus said, these signs will follow those who believe. Believers. In my name, they will cast out devils. You're a believer. Jesus spoke about you. He said that you will cast out devils in His name. You have that authority given to you. Another aspect of, an of our authority we must understand is that we are seated in a place of authority in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. 
The Bible says, you know, we who are dead in our trespasses and sins, we who walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the vain desires of the lust of our mind, satisfying the lust of our mind and our body. Such people, God, who is rich in mercy, verse 4, who is rich in mercy, for the great love with which He loved us, He quickened us together with Christ. That means, in the mind of God, this is what He did. When Christ was raised up from the dead, you were raised up from all of your sins and all of your wrongdoing. He raised you up. He has raised us up together with Christ. And He has made us to be seated together with Christ in heavenly places. As a believer, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Amen. In the natural, you're on this seat. In the spiritual, you're on that highest throne ever. In Christ. There's no higher throne that God could have given to you and me. He said, He made us sit together with Him in heavenly places in Christ. Christ is seated. Ephesians 1 says, Christ is seated far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and over every name that is named. And you as a believer, you are seated on that throne. Amen? I know many of us have different, have had different experiences ministering deliverance and casting out devils and so on. And, 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 and there's just some stories I share, and I keep sharing this again because some people may not have heard. Uh, I remember once, just to show you the power of the cross uh, and, and how the devils realized the authority of the cross. This was sometime back uh, in, 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 you know, in the early days. They used to do crusades and go preach in crusades and all that. Don't do that, don't do that these days. But uh, I remember one, in one of those crusades, this was in, 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 in uh, Kanyakumari district, border of Tamil Nadu, Kerala. We were having crusades there. And uh, one evening, after, you know, after preaching the sermon, pray mass prayer, pray for people, and then, you know, yeah, after the mass prayer, take testimonies, and then again continue praying for people one on one. So go, go late into the night praying for people. And so I remember this particular, you're standing in line, this one lady came up and asked, What's your name? What happened? She said, Back pain. No, you know, back pain. Okay. Uh, there was one Korean brother with me. I said, John, just stand behind her because I know something, something was going to happen. So John's standing behind her, just began to minister. And the moment, and, I, and this time I kept my eyes open, I didn't close my eyes because I knew something was going to happen. I was just about to lay hands on her, and then she began to, you know, Move around like this and begin to uh, make sound like pigs and all that noises, you know. And obviously, she was very possessed. And then, you know, all the, all the people moved out and she started walking around in these big circles. And, and I immediately began rebuking, saying, Jesus' name, come out. So I was speaking English, the devil was speaking Tamil. You know, thank God I understand, understand a little bit of Tamil. So I was speaking, you know, speaking English, they would say, no, we will not come out of this devil, this, this lady. And we've been in her for, I don't know, what, 18 years or something. Uh, uh, you cannot chase us out. We are 6,000 devils and all that. So, you know, I was going back and forth. And while this was happening, suddenly the Holy Spirit reminded me, tell the devils what happened on the cross. That was it. So I said, devil, I am speaking to you in the name of my Lord Jesus, who on the cross defeated your Lord and triumphed over him. And he defeated him. I'm speaking in his name. Come out of this woman. The moment I reminded them of what Jesus did on the cross and issued a command, that woman went flat on the ground. Delivered. That's the power of the cross. And the devils know it, just that believers don't. And that's the problem. I remember another time, this was in Kalyan, Mumbai, again, just some years ago, ministering there. And I went into the crowd, there were so many people possessed. Even little kids were possessed, you know, just 
behaving so weird. I was going out in the crowd to minister to these people. The Lord said, you know, when you speak, I want you to speak knowing that you're speaking from the throne of God. What you're saying is coming from the throne of God. Because you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So when I begin to speak to you, I said, devil, I'm coming to you from the throne of God. Now in the natural, I may be standing on the ground right next to the person. But when I'm speaking, I'm speaking from the throne of God. Because that's where you are seated. Amen. And as believers, we must understand that this is the kind of authority God has given to us. And walk in that strength, in the confidence of such authority that God has vested in you as a believer. Every believer. Amen. Understand your position in God. You know, here's the problem. Satan and his demons, they really, they know who we really are. And the only weapons they can use against us is number one, ignorance. Keep the church ignorant. Or number two, deception. Tell the church that the truth is not really the truth. Or third is intimidation. Pretend to be bigger than they really are. So ignorance. You are no longer ignorant about your authority in Christ. Amen? Deception. He says, you know, you're really, you know, there's all this thing about authority, you know, that was only for the apostles. You're not an apostle, so be quiet. Now, it's for every believer. So deception is the other weapon that can that the devil can use to neutralize or make believers powerless. And the third one is intimidation. Pretend to be much bigger than he really is. But if you refuse to get intimidated and you know the truth, that the devil really has been disarmed, then he can't stand, he can't succeed against you. The problem I think with most of us is we may not be uh, ignorant, we may not be deceived, but we are kind of intimidated. You see somebody who's possessed, oh, I better go away from here. It might come on me. Listen, the Bible says the devil cannot touch you. Jesus said nothing will by any means hurt you. If you're afraid, yes, run a mile. But if you are afraid and you know your authority, stand there. Don't let the devil intimidate you. That's his tactic. Amen? That's all he can do against you. So, yes, we will face demonic hindrances. We will face demonic advances against us. The Bible says, you know, we will rest, we wrestle against, uh, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood in Ephesians 6:12, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age. We we contend with these powers. But when we contend with these powers, understand you're not contending for victory, you're contending from a place of victory. Amen. The victory is already won. Jesus already conquered Satan and his demons, and you are in a place of authority. So you're contending from victory to enforce what Christ has. Uh, as accomplished, enforce it on this earth, either in your own life or in the lives of people that you're ministering to. You're contending from that place of victory. The key to walking in authority is that we must first walk in obedience to God to effectively flow in our God-given authority. Amen? First walk in obedience to God. Because James 4, 6 and 7 puts it like this. It says, you know, but He giveth more grace. To the humble. God resists the proud. But he gives more grace to the humble. You say, God, I want more grace. I'm, I'm facing some demonic opposition. I'm facing some demonic hindrance. I'm facing something the devil's come up against me. I need more grace. God can give you more grace. But it, it means that we must be humble. He says he gives more grace to the humble. 
Humble yourself before God. Say, God, I need more grace in this area of my life. He'll give more grace. Then verse 7 continues. It says, Submit yourselves unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God first. Come under obedience to God. Say, yes, Lord. I submit to your will. Then resist the devil and he will flee. Submission to God is so important for us to walk in our God-given authority. Amen? Let me just quickly talk a little bit about how we exercise our authority and we'll conclude. How do we exercise our authority? Three simple things that perhaps you and I are familiar with. Number one, we exercise our authority by using the name of Jesus. You know, the name of Jesus is not just a magic good luck charm. No, you put Jesus on it. Put a Jesus sticker. There's nothing wrong with all that. But the name of Jesus really is our power of attorney that has been given to us. That means Jesus is saying, I'm giving you the right to use my name if you are ready to do what I would do if I were there in that situation. Then go ahead, use my name. Do it. He's given us the power of attorney. The right to use His name. So when you are using the name of Jesus, you are really exercising your delegated authority, your power of attorney. That means you're saying, I'm standing here to do what Jesus would do if He were here in this position. If He faced demons, He would cast them out. If He faced sick people, He would heal them. So when you say, in Jesus' name, better make sure that you're doing what Jesus would do if He were there in that situation. Because that's the correct way to use the name. Are you with me? But it gives us the power of attorney. The power to exercise authority in His name and say, this is what I must see happen because I'm here as a representative of Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, in my name, Mark 16, 17, in my name you will cast out devils. In my name you will cast out devils. So in His name you exercise your God-given authority. Second, it's the blood of Jesus. Revelation 12, 11 says, they overcame the adversary, the, the accuser of the brethren, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even to the point of death. Now, here's the wrong way to do it. Now, many believers, they read the verse and say, you know, okay, the blood of Jesus is my weapon against the enemy. So, in any situation, they begin to do this, you know, blood of Jesus, 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 blood of Jesus. You might as well say the sky is blue, the sky is blue, the sky is blue, the grass is green, the grass is green, grass. Doesn't make a difference. So it's not the repetitive chanting of, you know, blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus. That doesn't mean anything. How do you use the blood of Jesus? It says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. That means you have to testify with your mouth what the blood of Jesus has done for you. And that's how you overcome the enemy. So you say, in any situation that you're contending, you say, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has cleansed me from every sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has redeemed me. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has set me free from all the vain manner of living that has been handed down by tradition from my forefathers. I have been set free from You begin to proclaim what the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has done for you. And that is the way you exercise the power of the blood of Jesus in your life. Amen? It's not just the repetitive use of the blood of Jesus. 
The last one is faith. You must have faith. You and I must have faith. You must have confidence in the authority God has given to us. You know, when, when we are speaking to the devil, understand, many times we confuse, we confuse volume of sound with authority. Turn the mic on, brother. You know, increase the dB level, you know. And we think the louder it is, the more authority it is. It has nothing to do with it. Nothing, absolutely nothing, zero. Just because you're loud doesn't mean you're more, you have more authority or more anointing. Doesn't mean that sometimes empty vessels make the most noise. It's not in the Bible. But... You know, don't confuse noise and loudness with authority. You know, if you are, have authority, you just have to tell the devil, go. What did you say? Go. You just have to speak with firmness, but with confidence. That's the key. Know your authority. Oh, during our five days of prayer, one afternoon, I don't know why this happened, but one man showed up at, at, at the Bible college and uh, he said, you know, he started talking to me. He said he was AIDS patient, this, that, and all that. Fine, we brought him in. He said he wants to be there in prayer. We brought him in, left him there for prayer. I mean, during our worship time. I think he was there for an hour or so. Uh, just watching if anything would happen during the worship, nothing happened. Then at the end of the day, we said, we said, okay, let's just get around him and pray. We got him in the middle. He knelt down. We started praying. And it, it didn't take too much of words to minister to him. It didn't take a lot of noise to get him free. He started praying. And then, you know, he was down on the floor, fell, fell on the floor and just... I knew there was so much something demonic in him. Just, just, just spoke a couple of words, and he was out for some time. And he woke up. He knew he was delivered. The point is, you just need to know your authority and speak. Now, yes, sometimes the devils will oppose and will not will be stubborn because that's what some the devil has some good points. One is he's very stubborn. Sometimes he's more stubborn than believers. So stubbornness is good in certain areas. So he's very stubborn. He might refuse to go. But what must you do? You must be a little bit more stubborn. And say, no, you have to go. I don't give up. Anyway, so the point is this. You know, you must have faith. When you have faith, you don't need to shout, scream, make a lot of noise. Speak. Exercising authority. Amen? There was this incident in Matthew 17 when the disciple Jesus could not cast a demon out. And they asked Jesus, saying, Jesus, you know, why could we not cast him out? And Jesus' response in Matthew 17, 20 was simply this, because of your unbelief. If you have faith like a mustard seed, you can tell the mountain to move, it will move, and nothing will be impossible. And he goes on in verse 21, he says, however, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. So what was the root cause? Unbelief. Prayer and fasting helps eliminate that unbelief. You must notice that Jesus never prayed nor fasted in that moment. Why? Because he was already walking in that level of faith and anointing. So you and I just walk in that level of faith and anointing. We're ready to minister anytime. But there are times when we need to get into prayer and fasting to help us strengthen our faith, to refine our faith, to focus our faith so we can minister to people effectively. But faith is the key. Because of unbelief is what Jesus said. Amen? The simple message here this morning is that in Christ, the devil is more scared of you than you realize. Amen? So the next time you feel the devil's coming up against you personally, or you have to minister to somebody else who needs deliverance, help in some way, do it. You do it. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I usually say don't call the pastor. It's not because I don't want to help. It's because my desire is for you to rise up. 
and be what God wants you to be. You know, my greatest joy is to create opportunities for people so that they can be what God wants them to be. You know, if I want, I could be everywhere doing everything, have my name on everything and, you know, but that's not, that's not nice. It's better for every person to rise up and be and become what God wants them to be. Amen? So the next time you find a demon-possessed person, don't think of calling somebody else. You are there. God has vested you with authority. You deal with it. Now, you may want two or three people for support and help. That's fine. But you face it. You deal with it. Because God has given you authority as a believer. Amen? These signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out devils, is what Jesus said. Let's stand to it. Father, we just thank you for this time in your presence. Father, we just pray that every person here, God, every believer here, will be encouraged to go out, exercise their authority, dismantle demonic works wherever they find it, and enforce Christ's victory in the lives of people around them. Father, we pray you'll use everyone, Lord. Anoint everyone here. Empower everyone here, God. And use each one, we pray. To minister great deliverance. To minister liberty to those who are oppressed. To deliver the captives. To break yokes and remove burdens, O oh God. Use everyone here, Father. In the schools, in the colleges, in the places of work. Wherever they may find people who are oppressed and troubled. Let faith arise. Let them speak boldly in the name of Jesus. And set the captives free. May we have more and more testimonies of believers casting out devils. And seeing great victories to their lives. We pray. And we thank you, O God. In Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.